true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, a very special guest in studio live tonight, Commander Couch with the Teller County Sheriff's Department. And I'll tell you what, tonight we take a very clear look at a perspective that many times is missed. Officer uh, Couch, Commander Couch, excuse me, uh, really a decorated person in law enforcement, uh, is going to give his perspective, his position on all the things that we see uh, that is happening across this country. Tonight, everything is on the table. The death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, the treatment of citizens by officers that have gone rogue. Tonight, tell you what, it's going to be a treat. Commander Couch is in the house. Stand by. ABC Radio takes off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and Cliff Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team. And as I mentioned, uh, Commander Couch from Keller County Sheriff's Department is here 
And I'll tell you what, he has a lot to say. Welcome, Commander. We appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you so much for having me. We appreciate it. We're going to get into some serious talk tonight. David, how important is it that we have uh, Commander Couch here tonight to get his perspective on something that is running rampant in the United States right now? Well, I think it's uh, very, very important. Like I said, I'm actually pretty excited to have law enforcement in the building. Uh, I think uh, too much uh, the narratives that are sometimes put out by the mainstream media tends to demonize all law enforcement. And law enforcement really, in a lot of respects, uh, at the local level, really don't, really don't get a chance to speak. So I think it's very vital to uh, this entire discussion and everything that's uh, going on, on, on in this country for law enforcement to be speaking and for people to uh, understand law enforcement's perspective. And I, was, I found it sounded interesting. I was picking up a friend from the hospital and uh, I saw a Colorado Springs police officer there and he made a, it looked like he made a point to reach out and say something. And uh, I was just, how are you doing officer? And that was pretty much it. There, there's no, no ill will towards officers. But I think we can address these issues uh, that we think are problematic in uh, with uh, certain bad apples in law enforcement while keeping the reputation and the mission and the overall need for law enforcement intact. So I'm just very excited for Commander Couch to be here. Well, uh, me and Commander Couch had a conversation, Commander, what, a couple weeks ago? Yes, two or three weeks ago. And I uh, was very excited to talk to you then. I never, and what really stuck, uh, really struck me when talking to you was your passion uh, and willingness to have your voice heard. As someone who's been law enforcement for quite some time, I'll let you tell our listeners that. Uh, how was that interaction with you between you and I, and how important was that that you felt comfortable enough to come here on this show? I, re I remember that very well. Uh, I think actually it started out on Twitter. Yes. I think you tagged uh, my handle in Twitter, my PIO handle, and uh, I started reading about your organization, A Just Cause, and uh, looking at the history. And I, I was just so excited to get tapped on the shoulder. It felt like a tap on the shoulder yeah. to me. And I was very excited that, that someone was reaching out to us, yes. and, and I'm going to reciprocate. Oh, no, without question. We both had a, some things we had to get through. Yes, uh, we did. It puts us here a couple of weeks beyond the date we anticipated. Uh, but we're both doing well. Yes, and, much better. Uh, we're so we're so glad that you are here. Samson, you had something to add? Uh, absolutely. I just uh, I'm I'm really excited to actually dig into the conversation with Commander Callis. You know, to get, I mean, because we've talked about it over like the last several weeks how you know we we continue to reiterate the fact that yes, we are talking about these cases that are absolutely tragic, but we always follow up with like these. Are, this is not a painted picture of all police officers. That there are good police officers, and it's just an honor to actually have one in the building on you know on the air with us tonight and actually get you know live feedback we've got his his basically his resume here in front of us it's, it's extensive it's impressive and i'm i'm just ready to delve into it with him well there we go and uh, we're going to get into that folks feel free to dial into the show tonight 646-200-0628 646-200-0628 commander couch on the other side of the break we get the conversation started this is AJC radio <laughs> For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, 
Life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can have you to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. 
how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. I wanted to be in the military since I was a, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You gotta find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, where we are beyond pleased and honored to have Commander Grant Couch in studio with us live, discussing really the condition of a nation. We have issues that in the country we call the State of the Union. You're familiar with that, politically speaking. And the statement is, is the state of our union is strong, uh, regardless of the condition of the country. Tonight, Commander Couch will get into the state of the union when it comes to law enforcement. What is the condition of law enforcement right now? What is the perception? What is the conversation around law enforcement? And uh, Commander Couch, again, we are honored to have you here in studio. We could not be more honored. Thank you for having me. No, and we appreciate I really that. Appreciate it. Let's get into conversation really quick, uh, Commander. Uh, you know the the top news that we've been dealing with over the last several months has been George Floyd. Uh, I want to get your perspective on the death of George Floyd, what happened, uh, that the world was watching uh, and saw this man die in a very horrific way. You as a person in law enforcement, your perspective of that, what did you see, what did you make of it, and let our listeners hear your, your, your position on that. Sure, thank you. Uh, you know, I saw it like everyone else did on, on the, the national media. Uh, my wife and I are both police officers and have been for quite a while. And it, it was it was pretty disgusting. I mean, um, I do not understand the actions of some of the officers, or I guess all the officers that I could see in the video. I, I just don't understand the inaction, the decisions that were made. Um it's just, it's extremely disturbing. Uh, sure. It, it, um, it struck a chord, uh, probably in almost every household, one way or the other, uh, in this country. Uh, the reason I think it's important, I went on, I shared this story a couple of weeks ago uh, with an officer. Uh, I'm a TikTok fan. You do a lot of scrolling on TikTok. And uh, 
I was in a position that uh, I came across an officer. He had a picture of his little girl in the corner. And somebody had sent him a message telling him, I hope you die today. Um, this was not an officer who was in any way connected to the death of George Floyd, but the contempt and the hate for officers got to a level because people were outraged by what they saw. As David uh, said uh, during the break and even the prior, uh, the vilifying of all officers as a result of uh, what happened with Derek Chauvin in the, in the George Floyd killing simply just is not right. Uh, just Cause AJC Radio has always took the position that it is our duty, our responsibility to speak to injustices wherever we see them, but to also speak to those who uplift justice. Uh, I had shared with our listeners then uh, that when we had the Fountain Police Department, we had the Deputy Chief of Fountain Police here, uh, a couple of his colleagues were here, uh, and they began to just share stories of really heroic actions that these officers did, saving lives, doing a lot of good things. It is our position at AJC Radio that all officers are not Derek Chauvin. All officers are not to that level of, of cruelty. Uh, and I think that's why uh, your perspective, Commander, is so important that there are a lot of people that primarily felt like, you know, this was a huge disservice. I felt it's important to say, look, uh, we have a number of great couches out there that have done this job. And I cannot imagine uh, you and your wife. I, I said I was joking with the commander prior to coming on the air and I said, hey, you and your wife got some stories to tell at night at the end of each day. <laughs> we do. Uh, so please understand that's a just causes position. And AJC Radio is to say, look, let's talk about let's have the conversation that look. Commander Couch and several other officers don't agree with what's happening. We got Brianna Taylor. We have who's in her room, sleep, um, with her boyfriend. Uh, and how many? I forget, how many officers went in? Three officers went into the actual uh, apartment, and uh, they were not in uniform. They were not in uniform, so they had no idea when somebody kicked their door in that this is law enforcement. How do I know that's not my guys who were on the corner a week ago that said, hey, we plan on coming to get you. And they, they made him look like he didn't have a right to pull his weapon, which I believe he had a permit for. Uh, he was allowed to carry that. What is your position on that, Commander, when you deal with a situation like that? Uh, and then that runaround that happened after this young girl was shot not telling the mother if she had to run down the body of her daughter because she's on the phone with mom. She said they just came in. You got a mother on the other end of the phone hearing gunshots and her daughter's voice goes silent. There should have been some type of uh, communication that could have avoided that tragedy. Give us your thoughts on that, Commander. Sure. Uh, you know, I've been in situations like that before where you, 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 get a call or you have a reason to contact somebody who's in their own home and the home is sacred. Um, that, that is your castle. And you just have to handle situations with a little bit more finesse sometimes. And I'm not making a judgment on this case because I don't know every detail right. to this case. I'm not going to, you know, I won't make a judgment on it, but 
I would say in general, um, th that happens a lot where we have to go contact someone in their home and you have to have respect in your heart uh, that you're going to do it in a way in which you can, um, you know, respect the people in this, inside the house. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard a lot of different stories. I don't know what the reason was for them going in, um, but it's always dangerous. And, you know, have we not learned yet in law enforcement that if you're going to take official action, that you need to be easily identified um, because people don't know. There's been what you would call blue on blue homicide where an off-duty officer is not fully identified and they're there to help or in a different situation, they're there to help or something and, you know, they get killed. So is it a training issue? Is it a human issue? Um, it needs to be, it needs to be looked into. And we just do as a profession, you're going to have those folks in, in each, every, every profession that, for whatever reason, they make a bad call and it's a mistake and something bad happens. You also have people who get uh, in their mind that they're going to, they're just going to be a bad person and they're going to make these decisions or they're, they're mad about something else and something tragic happens. You know, sure. that's every profession. You really have to be called to, to do law enforcement. It, it really needs to be in your heart and you should be like, intrinsically motivated to do that work because it is hard. There is a lot of negative negativity. There's a lot of positivity out there um, for law enforcement. Um, and you have to believe that work is sacred. That's important. This is one of the most consequential jobs that you, you have the most consequential power as a police officer than, than almost anybody because, you know, there's the court system. They have a lot of power, right? But as a law enforcement officer, you go all the way to the top of what you can do to another person. And you should always be, you know, thinking about that and make the right decisions. And your heart has to be in the right place. No, without question. And I agree with that. That, But that's what we need in law enforcement, what Commander Couch just said. Uh, to take seriously the power that rests at the feet of officers. That's the beginning of the law of the uh, of the legal process is begins with a police officer, because from that arrest, from that interaction with that particular person, handcuffs put on. The next steps is bonding out of jail, having an attorney being charged with a crime in many cases that can affect life from the very beginning. William, your thoughts on what the commander just shared with us? You know, it's, it's very true. I'm listening to you. And, and it's critical that, you know, people understand that, that what you're saying, you have to be diligent about being good, Do, yes. you know, good actions, quality actions. Your actions could change a person's life. I was telling somebody this, this week, I said, just a little bit of compassion would have changed the whole George Floyd case. A yes. little bit of compassion by a chauvin, both those men probably would have went home. It, the outcome could have been totally different. And so when I hear you talk, you know, it, it seems like the police officers now, and I, I think they're fighting for this reputation like yourself, saying, listen, there are some good ones out here. We're out here to do a good job. We're out here to really serve and protect. And so now 
what can we do now to get that message out? What can we do now to, to so people can understand, hey, there are some good apples. Because I believe that stereotyping is bad. Sure. You know what I'm saying? You can, I believe that too. Yes. So, so what can we do? I think we're doing it. I think this is a, a good, you know, this is probably not the first step, but it's a great step. Um, this needs to happen. The law enforcement community is not involved in this uh, discussion. It's it's not that I can see. Um, hopefully I'm wrong, but um, you just – I understand. I think I have a good handle on what's going on out there. Basically, we've lost our legitimacy in law enforcement. And do you know where that comes from? It comes from the people we serve. It doesn't come from the government. The government should be serving us too. That's, that's, that's how that's supposed to work. And, and today, we have to be involved in this conversation. The, the good and, – and there's a lot of good people in law enforcement. They – can no longer stand on the sidelines. If you're not doing something, if you're sitting on the bench, you're not being honorable. You're not. You have to say something. You have to do something. Because I think what gets lost, what's get, getting lost in the conversation is when when cases like uh, the George Floyd case happens. What gets lost is that the vast majority of police officers aren't bad. This is this is no matter how you know frequent it seems to happen. The vast majority of officers are just doing the job. They're doing a good job, and they're not and they're not in these things. So, the the question I was ha- I would have for you, Commander Katz, is, is when you're an officer and you're and you and you look around you and you know other officers that are that are good officers, and an instance of like this happens. I mean, how does that as a human? How does that make you feel? I mean, you're going to you're going to a job now that has this perception that's not 100 percent accurate, but then you have to go out there and still do your job every day. And then the stress level, I, can, I can't imagine how your stress levels must be or how, how you feel like, do I have to walk extra careful now? Do I have to, do I have to change my perception? I mean, how, does, how, do, how, do you, how do you digest that, you know, as you're you know, getting ready for work each day? Well, it's, uh, you know, I worry. Uh, I worry not so much about me, but about my wife. She's caught for 10 years. She's still on the street. I worry that one day she's not going to come home because... She was sitting in her car doing reports, and somebody came up and shot her in the head. It, it, I worry about that all the time because of the environment that we're in. It's so, it's so, it's, you know, it's inflamed. It's it's crazy. I've never seen anything like this, and I've been in the business for quite a while. Um, I when I see things on television like the George Floyd uh, killing, the first reaction is, "What are you doing?" Why are you doing that? I cannot believe what I am seeing right now. Why are you doing that? And I don't guess this officer was a rookie. I mean, he's got lots of years of service and training, you know, I'm assuming. What what brought us to this place? That's what I think about. Why are we here? And we need to move off of this. And we need to get better. And we need to connect with the community. And that's that's what needs to happen. Yeah. No, absolutely right. And and, the, and those are things, as you said, Commander, uh, the start is here. Uh, having a conversation, talking to the American people, uh, talking to people, everyday folks who feel like, and my heart goes out, uh, Commander, to you when you just stated to me, uh, uh, to, the, to our listeners, that you worry about your wife who's on the, on the street out there, uh, an officer for 10 years. Uh, they become... And we pray hope not 
as far as your wife is concerned. Any other officers that are uh, innocent of this type of behavior, that are not guilty of this, uh, the danger's out there. Uh, and if we as an organization can, can bring people together and say, look, uh, you know what? That officer doing a report in her car or his car didn't have nothing to do with George Floyd. If we can bring trust back in our communities with law enforcement, that's going to be not only the responsibility of citizens, but the responsibilities of police departments in every county, every city uh, in this country. And the only way that happens, you have to start showing fairness and fair justice for everybody. I'm going to play a clip really quick about George Floyd, the protest, the intensity of that. And why Commander Couch says, you know what? I'm concerned. Uh, it's not about the protesters themselves, but what message is being sent. Somebody, one protester is saying, look, let's talk. Another protester may be saying, let's, let's bring action. Let's bring vengeance for the death of George Floyd. It can become very, very volatile, very dangerous. Let's play the clip. What you've seen in previous nights, I think, will be dwarfed by what they will do tonight. One man's pleading. Now a rallying cry for demonstrators demanding justice for George Floyd, an unarmed black man who died while a white police officer pressed his knee into Floyd's neck. The words Floyd said over and over again in the minutes before his death. Gwen Carr's son had the same dying words four years ago while in a chokehold by police. We have to send a message. We're not just going to sit still while they kill our people. They come into our neighborhood. They brutalize. They terrorize. They murder us. And then it gets swept under the rug. State officials bracing for more violence say it's not the answer. The situation in Minneapolis is no longer in any way about the murder of George Floyd. This is about violence, and we need to make sure that it stops. I want to be very, very clear. The people that are doing this are not Minneapolis residents. After another night of escalating unrest... The governor is readying his full National Guard, a first in the state's history. And the Pentagon has put military police units on alert to descend on Minneapolis, where Floyd was killed. We can have troops on the ground very quickly. The president criticizing authorities in Minnesota for allowing the escalation. They've got to get tougher. They've got to get tougher. The morning after, <laughs> citizens clean their streets, charred and still smoking. Fires and outrage spread far beyond Minnesota. Protesters have poured into the streets in dozens of cities, many turning violent. If you want change in America, go and register to vote. That is the change we need in this country. I call upon our city and our nation to exercise great restraint, even while the president tries to divide us. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. 
Walker was captured on video pinning Floyd down by his neck faced murder charges Friday, but three other officers who were involved in the incident have yet to be charged. Now, the U.S. Attorney General commenting on the protest Saturday vowed people will be prosecuted and said the system right now is working as it should. For City News, I'm Karen Seolin. There you have it, um, Commander, to your concerns. America was forced to the position to observe the death of George Floyd in the middle of a pandemic where people were, many people were forced to be home and they happened to see this killing. Um, as you can hear in the clip, the emotions of people, not only in Minnesota, all over the country, to see a man die so blatantly cruel. Uh, Commander, I understand then, like you said, I've never seen nothing like it. Yeah. Uh, and my heart goes out to you, your wife, and all law enforcement that are doing their job on a day-to-day basis. David, did you have a Comment. Yeah, I got I have a comment. I think a couple a couple of comments uh that he that Officer uh Commander Couch can actually speak to that is somewhat problematic the way people see. Now one area is what I see on the mainstream media many many times is every time an officer kills or is involved in a officer involved shooting especially when it's like a jaywalking stop, loose cigarettes and Eric Garner, and then a $20 counterfeit bill in the case of George Floyd. Somebody ended up dead for a very minor issue. That seems, seems to really inflame people. Why is he dead? If he's, if he's carrying a gun, most, most people will say, okay, the dude's carrying a gun. Uh, you don't play those type of games. You could get shot and you could get killed. But uh, we pay a lot of attention to the George Floyd type of cases, but there are other type of incidents where African-Americans feel, well, like stop and frisk. I still don't, I cannot for the life of me see how any law enforcement officer can justify stop and frisk at any in any way, shape, or form. I'm walking down the street. First of all, I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be left alone. I don't want uh, uh, a uh, just a normal other person bother me. I don't want to be stopped by the cop. I'm just minding my business. But you're going to stop, have a conversation with me, and then tell me to get up against the wall, and then tell you it's vital for policing and it it uh it was responsible for a decrease in crime in certain areas. I'm sorry. Under no circumstances can you tell me an officer has a right when I'm not doing anything but walking down the street to stop and start frisking me. And so those type of things, you'll say, well, uh, you, if you, you have nothing to, to hide, you shouldn't mind. No, I do mind. So those types of issues, uh, one, people are getting killed for the most innocuous type of conduct and then policies like stop and frisk as if 
and they wonder why people get pissed off. You're stopping me. I'm I'm out here shopping. You're stopping me, and I got to be. My day has to be interrupted because you want to frisk me. And so those type of incidents, I think, go further to destroy confidence in police than even the George Floyd's, which is the worst outcome. And Eric Garner's is some of the worst outcomes you can get. But the day-to-day interactions, I think, contribute more to people's view of and distrust of police. Uh, if you can uh, provide those your thoughts on that, Commander Couch, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, stop and frisk was just a bad idea all around. That's You're violating somebody's constitutional rights when you do that. You should always, as, as law enforcement, I think the majority of law enforcement where they don't have that, uh, they don't do that. But obviously it happens. You know, uh, there's no reason for that. Uh, you can point to, to uh, statistics. There's probably others that counter that point, you know, um, and you, you can't. The, one of the most precious things, and this is why we're here today, is, is the trust that has been lost in law enforcement by the people that we serve. And you really need to think about, like constantly, everybody's rights. Um, there's no reason to go around that. And I want to make a comment about the mainstream media, too, David. You mentioned that. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a public information officer, and I, I have a very good relationship with all of the local media outlets here. They're all good folks. You know, they're good people. They live in this community. The mainstream media, I will say, is is made up major, of the majority of, like, the national media, the big, the big, the big houses, the big networks. I want people to understand that media – is not a public service. It is a business. They are in the game for money, and they get money by ratings. And what gets the most ratings? Things like we're talking about. Yep. Folks, do your do your own research. Um, be smart about it. I, I don't watch the national media as much as I used to. Uh, I, I do my own research. I have very many sources online to get information from from other sources outside and around the national media because I don't, they, they have a sense, they have a, um, a and they have a way to like, they inflame people, you know, they, they show only the worst parts. Um, and, and I'm not denigrating what happened at all. All of these, these things that we're talking about were unnecessary and just horrible. But when you show that over and over again, some people in this, some people, there are some people in this world who are motivated only to cause problems. Um, they don't necessarily share your view. They just want to cause problems. And a lot of the, I think a lot of the protests were uh, hijacked basically by groups. And, and I'm aware of some things that I can't share here, but the things that I see, there's people out there that, you know, that have a legitimate concern like we all do. But there's also bad actors out there who want to come in and make it their own. I think that – and the, your message is lost. You know, the, these these good groups out there, their message is lost. And I, that's just wrong. No, no, without question. And those are things that, again, uh, have to be dealt with, that anytime you have any type of national coverage, uh, it brings every type of individual out, uh, whereas you have a group um, uh, that – will attach a name of an organization to themselves and do all types of things, looting and violence and things like that. And they lump them all in one boat. Well, look, these guys, these folks are out here causing violence and doing this and doing that. 
when the governor made the statement that none of the protests out there were now at this point about the death of George Floyd, to me was an overreach. And that is a lumping everybody, as the commander alludes to, into one group. That look, so let's, let's just put the narrative out there that all of these people are looters. All of these people are violent. That's not the case. You had people out there that were legitimately concerned. Martin Luther King, as you heard in the opening clip, I read somewhere we have the right to protest and to stand against that which is wrong. A man being murdered on the side of the street by law enforcement who has a statement on their car, in God we trust, to protect and serve. There's a problem. Um, and to Commander Couch's point, it doesn't take much to inflame a group of people when someone is killed in broad daylight by an officer. For a counterfeit $20 And alleged, bill. because... Alleged counterfeit bill. Here's, here's what they stated in the argument, even with that, Commander. They said the clerk who worked in the store who testified at the trial said once he accepted the $20 bill after checking it, it was supposed to be done with. Uh, and the $20 would be taken, had it proven counterfeit by management, the $20 would have been taken out of his paycheck. Or he would have had to pay for that $20 bill. The point is, he accepted it. Then why then, according to store policy, did you go out repeatedly to address George Floyd and then be called, be told to call the police by the management? And my, I read somewhere, whereas the $20 bill proved to be real, that it wasn't even counterfeit, and it cost this man his life. Uh, what, how does one become inflamed? How does the... the Actions of others become inflamed and outraged. And like you said, you got some bad actors here. Uh, I hate to hear any law enforcement uh, person be killed. We had the issue in New York after Eric Gardner's death, and people were protesting about Michael Brown and St. Louis and all these places. And you got two officers on break having lunch. Somebody comes up and says, oh, they're against us. Killed two officers, shot of execution style. Well, and I remember I had to go off on some people I know because they were praising the killing of officers in Dallas during that, that year, time. during that time. And I, and I had to say, man, do you know these people have families and children? Yeah. While you're around here praising, I said, you don't even, they're in Colorado. These people are in Texas. You don't know that cop's life. You don't know right. his family. You don't know anything. So, and if anybody's experienced death in their family, kids are going up without a father. A, a wife is grieving because her husband is gone, or vice versa. And you think that's justification to say, "Well, he ought to be dead. Why should he be dead? Uh, what reason? Do you know him? No, did did he I... shoot somebody in your family? So this sort of uh, that sort of attitude just it absolutely disgusts me because they've done the same thing in many times in reverse. You tell people don't act like black people are all this or all that, but you want to say because a person wears a blue uniform that he's automatically this way, and and it's just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, 
I want to go back to something, and I'm going to, I want to address that through a comment that William made earlier about compassion. Uh, when I was a rookie, you know, a young cop, I didn't have a whole lot of it, and my father called me out on it. He said, son, you don't have to treat – you don't have to take everybody to jail. And uh, he was so right. I mean, you know, good people do bad – or good people are involved in bad things. It's not – you know, a lot of the stuff is not intentional. So law enforcement needs to refine their compassion in general. Um, they need to treat people as individuals just like we would want to be treated. Um, and that's the thing. If law enforcement does not change from within, there's going to be a lot more deaths. And I just don't want to see that to a career that I've spent my whole adult life in. I just It's going to break my heart to see that. Um, and I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, but, you know, somebody earlier said that we can address these issues, and this is how we address these issues, is we come to a table and we treat each other with respect and as individuals. No, no, absolutely right, Commander. And, and the respect that uh, uh, I have for you uh, in the short period of time that we have had discussions, uh, there are certain things that are self-evident. Uh, in regards in regards to when you meet a person, uh, you meet that type of person. When I met uh, Commander Couch, I commend you on your uh, your service uh, that you've given, and my heart really goes out, uh, and prayers will go out uh, to you and your family and law enforcement because people we need more we need we need more Commander Couches out here that say look and and had a dad that had the courage enough to say hey son. Uh, take a look <laughs> and yeah. respect him enough to say, Pops, I think you, what you're saying is right. Uh, but it sounds like molded you to the person who you are today. Uh, that's to be commended. I think we got Thank a caller. You. Cliff? Yes, we have uh, Janelle who has a comment about the conversation tonight. Janelle, thank you for your call. You're live. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Commander Couch um, for his work, and I was listening to him speak when he uh, mentioned that a change needs to be made from the inside, and I totally agree. When I consider sometimes, um, you know, what's happening all over the nation and the excessive force, I hate to hear people say, you know, why didn't he shoot him in the leg or whatever, because that's not what they're trained to do. They're trained to shoot for the center of mass. And that's, that's the point. That's why they should consider before a weapon is ever pulled, um, what, what is the need for that? I just want to know his thoughts on what's going on inside that can, that he may be able to speak on that causes this need to pull the gun so quickly all the time when it should actually be a, a last resort if if police officers feel threatened if their lives are in danger um what what are his thoughts on the the excessive force going on right now that's a great question janelle um you seem to know quite a bit about uh some some police and law enforcement training um i think that the, the key is to understand what's going on outside of your bubble if you're a police officer you need to look at the situation that you're dealing with in, in many different ways all at the same time it's kind of an art 
you know, it's kind of like psychology. You're dealing with a, another human being who you hope to influence their behavior and their next actions in the next few seconds. And while there have been times when I've been dealing with someone and I, I had justification to pull a firearm, maybe not pointed at him, but, you know, I, I felt a threat. I didn't. And that's just part of the experience. It's part of training. Uh, it's, it's part of good judgment and not knowing what the situation was um, with your particular example. Uh, it, it could be a number of different things that are the problem. It's, it's obviously a complicated issue. Uh, everything is when you have human beings involved. I mean, we're fatally flawed, each and every one of us. Nobody's perfect. But I think you have to have a greater self-awareness when you're dealing with folks that it could turn into a deadly situation. Uh, so the communication is the biggest part. Um, talk to these people, you know, con constantly get in their head and, and, and know what they're thinking so that you can make the right decisions. No, for sure. And thanks, Janelle, for the call. Uh, good answer, Commander. And we're going to deal with it. Something dealing with it on the other side of this break. We'll take a quick break. Uh, dealing with how is it that armed killers, after the commission of a crime, ends up shot in the leg, injured but not killed? Where's that discrepancy? Why is that discrepancy there? We've seen it. Uh, actually, one of the killers down uh, William, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. It was uh, the, the South Carolina. That was the church killing. The church correct? killing in South Carolina. This right. gentleman was given bottled water, I believe Burger King. Yeah, he was taken. Uh, en route to, to to being locked up, and he killed how many people? Nine. Nine people died. How did he leave there alive? But a man selling cigarettes on the corner in New York City by the name of Eric Gardner is choked to death. Again, going back to David's. Trust, transparency, how does that happen? How does that differ? We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio tonight. Commander Greg Couch, Keller County Sheriff's Office, giving his perspective to a troubled time. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. Or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, 
like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in the community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention. Attention from older guys is totally flattering. They're so much more mature and understanding than the guys might. Age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really interested. interested in the same things I am. You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about chatting. Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with me. Meeting them is the goal. Once I get them out of their house, well, that's when things get really interesting. Online predators know what they're doing. Do you? Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders facing trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18... A U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. 
Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have been honored tonight to have Commander Greg Couch from Cal County Sheriff's Office give a law enforcement perspective on the condition of law enforcement in this nation. Uh, Commander Couch, without question, the perspective that you give to this discussion is critical uh, in this nation right now, that law enforcement along with of the American people, have been outraged and very troubled by what we have seen. Prior to the break, we began to discuss the differences between someone walking out in a situation where there truly is a threat of life, and lives have been taken and killed uh, in situations where the perpetrator leaves alive, unharmed in many cases, uh, not even tased in many cases. But how is it that the folks that we talk about tonight, uh, definitely George Floyd, uh, definitely Breonna Taylor, definitely Walter Scott, definitely Michael Brown, uh, guys that had no, uh, posed no threat to law enforcement uh, in any type of way, how did they end up in body bags? That's a big question. Commander, your thoughts on that as we get into that discrepancy regarding fair justice for all. Right. That's that's the thing I want to talk about is the discrepancy and the disparity between small things with horrible outcomes and then big, huge things with just, you know, totally opposite outcomes. Um they cannot all be explained away generally with the same rule. There are, you know, a multitude of factors. Everything's complicated. But the, the, the important thing that I want to talk about about that is, is I, I feel like law enforcement in generally, in general, needs to pay more attention and give more weight to the perception of reality of the community and these groups, you know. That, that is what is driving a wedge. We can sit here as, as law enforcement and say, no, it's, it's, it's not what they're saying it is. It's different. There was, he, somebody did this, and the officer had to do that. That might be true. That's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. 
the story is going to be told by the community and then by the media. And we're, I don't feel like law enforcement is engaged in that discussion right now. And, and that's why, you know, again, that's why we're here. Um, people want a lot, they just want a few things. They want consistency and they want accountability. Accountability for everyone, including law enforcement. We should be the ones holding ourselves accountable. We shouldn't even need people to hold us accountable. We should be doing it internally. And I'll, I'll talk to law enforcement leadership right now. Are you instilling the good things into your employees? Are you doing that as a leader? Are you taking an active role in that and inculcating integrity in your people? Because if you're not, you're part of the problem and you need to get out. That's a good point, uh, Commander. Um, I'm going to play real quick the Falendo Castile um, shooting was released uh, a while ago after this young man's death who was killed uh, in his car on a traffic stop, which kind of begins to start a trend of killings for traffic, uh, not threats, traffic. If you know, I'll give you a backdrop to Falendo Castile uh, had a permit to carry. Uh, Samson alluded to last week that uh, uh, he followed all protocols for a person who carries a weapon that's allowed to carry. Uh, he had the right to carry. He had paperwork to carry. It is his duty as a citizen, if stopped by any officer and asked about uh, the carrying of a weapon, if he has a weapon, to disclose that information um, to the said officer, whoever that might be. You have a young man who followed protocol. Had he not said he had a weapon, had he not said, I do have a permit to carry, the question is, nine times out of ten, he's alive today because the weapon was concealed. He lives because the officer at that point now has no reason to believe in his mind that there's a threat, then how can you tell African-American youngsters, a youngsters period, just follow what the officers tell you. And receiving that permit to carry, Philando was following what he was told to do. Ultimately, he lost his life for doing so. Let's play the clip. It took just seconds for a routine traffic stop to turn deadly, and today graphic video of the encounter was made public just a few days after a Minnesota police officer was found not guilty of manslaughter. Rea Villarreal reports. The newly released dash cam video shows the moment when Officer Geronimo Yanez stopped Fernando Castile for a broken taillight last July. First, asking Castile for his license and registration. I have to tell you, I do have a firearm. Okay. Don't reach for it, then. Don't pull it out. Don't pull it out. Within 90 seconds of making the stop, the 29-year-old officer fired seven shots. Castile's girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, was in the passenger seat. She streamed the immediate aftermath on Facebook Live. Told him to get his hand out. He had, you told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. 
Oh my God, please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. As Officer Yanez continued to point his weapon at Castile, you can see an officer coax and pick up Reynolds' then four-year-old daughter, who was in the back seat during the shooting. Yanez was quickly suspended from the St. Anthony, Minnesota Police Department and soon indicted for manslaughter. During the trial, Yanez said he feared for his life and thought Castile, a 32-year-old school cafeteria worker, was pulling out a gun he was licensed to carry. Friday, the jury acquitted Yanez of all charges. Valerie Castile is Philando's mother. My firstborn one son died here in Minnesota. Under the circumstances, just because he was a police officer, that makes it okay. Oh, now they got free reign. He's found innocent on all counts. Castile family members were reportedly stunned when they saw the video during the trial. And Anthony, according to their attorney, they are planning to file a lawsuit against the city as well as the police department here. Maria, thanks. Every time you hear that clip, it is heart-wrenching. Philando makes the statement to the officer, I want you to know I have a firearm that I am allowed to carry. The officer responds in the report and says he feared for his life and thought Castillo was reaching for a gun. But he makes the statement when he says to the officer, I have a firearm, very calmly, not threatening in any way, his little girl on the back seat, his fiance in the front seat. And if you can hear Philando in that clip, he is very calm but nervous. I want to let you know that I have a firearm. When he says don't reach for it, Philando says to him, I'm reaching for my license because you just asked me to do so. Immediately you uh, empty seven shots, seven shots on this guy. It is, this is what we are talking about. How is it? If I wanted to pull a gun on an officer to harm him, would I introduce the weapons that I have prior to shooting you? None of that scenario makes any sense to me. Commander, that clip is very troubling. Uh, and it hits me every time I hear it. It's it's horrible. It's it's horrible to listen to. Um, I again, I don't know all the facts of that case, but I think the best thing to to say is, I'm I'm nervous when I get pulled over. Okay, because I understand that there are all kinds of police officers, and and again, I have to say the majority of them are professional professionals who have integrity. And, and they can keep their emotions under control yep. under stressful situations, which it sounded like in the beginning this, this officer had himself under control. Um, that quickly changed, as we can hear. Um, but, you know, it's, it's human nature to want to explain, uh, I've noticed over the years. And it, it does seem like that gentleman was trying to explain what he was doing. It's on every officer 
to maintain their composure. And I'll be honest, I, I was in a situation where a person at night, uh, we, it was a burglary, and he ran out the back, and I could tell he was intoxicated, could tell he had something in his hand. It was hard to see. I assumed it was probably a gun. He turned toward me and pointed it at me directly, and I had to sit there, and I was pointing my gun at him, too. I had to sit there and wait milliseconds. I had to let him shoot first, and I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. Please right. do not misunderstand that. I had to wait because sometimes police officers are going to get killed. That's that's a price that a lot of us pay, okay? And if the officer felt he was justified, you know, that's that's his perception. Uh, and I'm, I can't really get into that. I wasn't there. I haven't seen the video. Uh, but I would, I would say in general, you, as a, as a police officer, there, there are inherent risks in this job and you better be brave enough to go to the last millisecond before you make a deadly decision like that. You, you have to. No, no, without question, commander. This, and, uh, and we understand that people have to see when I saw the video, it was just troubling where he, uh, as the commander alludes to, started in control initially. Uh, in a moment, uh, he, to me, my perception of the video and seeing it, he panicked very, very quickly. Why he panicked in that fashion, um, don't have that answer. David? Well, I think, and I think what bothers me is, did the officer perceive him as a threat because he was a black man? Okay. Now, I remember the George Floyd, that young 17-year-old kid was carrying an assault rifle down between police officers, uh, claiming yes. he was there to keep the peace right. and to help people out. But I just, in my mind, if a black guy, I'm sorry, had been walking down the street during those protests with an assault rifle, I believe police see him differently so that's the that's the conversation that, that's the question and i guess that's also been a question among a lot and discussed among a lot of uh, african americans how are you viewing us the the cop with michael brown said described him as a demon and then even Derek chauvin was this guy this is a big black man black guy uh and is he a larger threat than what even perceiving. Eric Garner was a big dude, mostly a fat guy, but he was still a very big man. So I have to ask myself if if a if a white man had pulled up that wasn't Philando Castile, he says, "Officer, I have a, I have a concealed carry. I just want to let you know I am carry, I am packing my weapon with me." Would the same result? So I just have to ask, how are cops? Do they see black men? young black men and black men in general as a bigger threat than white men. And is that a reason a lot of these things actually happen? And the reason the guy in Boulder got shot in the leg after shooting up the King Supers, he comes out with his leg bleeding and you keep, and I think that that's what's, that's what's hard to rationalize is I see this guy, commit mass murder inside of King Supers. He walks out with a bloody leg. Philando Castile's at a traffic stop. He shot seven times and killed. Eric Garner is killed, choked out. 
Selling cigarettes. Selling cigarettes. So if I I keep seeing this, it becomes right. hard for me to try to reckon with those types of justification. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. And then the jury, it's almost like the officer always has a justification for killing somebody. If even in in many cases, if a citizen had a choked out another citizen, another citizen. Well, the, the system would have, say, you used excessive force, you didn't have to kill him. Uh, where, where were you actually threatened? And you see this and you're like, okay, what? why are we seeing the difference between this killing where the police officer felt threatened, but another individual says they felt threatened, they're going to prison? Commander, uh, the point, It's a discussion that you have to have because if it keeps happening, then we say to ourselves, are we looked at as African-Americans and all we have is the facts before us? What has happened? What, how do we explain this? How does law enforcement explain it? Uh, I don't remember anybody getting a ride to Burger King after committing a crime of murder uh, anywhere. Stopped on the way for dinner? I yeah, that's 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 unbelievable. Okay, I, I think what David, the point David is making, and it's a great point, is that we are looking for answers. Okay, sometimes we're not going to find them, but I have one one answer for you, David. And yes, there are biased law enforcement officers in that profession right now. Of course, there are. Who's who would ever deny that? Because we're all human beings and we're not perfect. The key is, is that if you're one of those people, you have to be dealt with. Either you're going to get help or you're going to get out. And that has to come from the top of law enforcement. We have to hold our people accountable. It's, and in, in a lot of cases, it's not happening. I mean, I, I, I'm in the business of holding people accountable. I'm in the business of holding civilians accountable for their actions. And I'm in the business of holding officers and deputies accountable for their actions. You treat everybody the same. The standards have to equalize. No, no, without question. And and, and uh, if we can get that message out, the message of Commander Couch is, look, it's not something, it's not a multiple choice answer. It is simply, you have to do it. It's binary. It's it's. It's binary. It's a one or it's a two. It can't be both, and it can't be in the middle. No, it is what it is. It is what it is. And and uh, Dennis, you had a comment I think earlier, did you? Yeah. And as the commander is talking now, it's like uh, let's 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 understand that we do have biases. I mean, first of all, we we have to, like he just said, the, we have to come to the place where we say, okay, there are biases. How do we deal with it? I mean, because we we can't get rid of law enforcement. Can't happen. Not, it's not going to happen. And if it did happen, this 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 world would be in chaos. We we understand that. But again, we have to deal with the perception. Perception is pretty much reality in, in the sight of man. So if I perceive there's a prejudice against me as a black man compared to a white man, uh, when it comes to law enforcement, we got a problem. How do we? How do we get rid of this perception? First, we have to admit there are biases. And if we admit there are biases and we deal with 
the biases. Like he said, seek help. Maybe I need some counseling, whatever. And then if I fail to either seek the help or, or, or you know, deal with my biases, then, hey, you can't be a police officer. And I think uh, everybody talks about the blue wall of silence. We don't see enough, and I don't know if this has to do with the, the old, uh, all the cliches, what's well, ongoing investigation, we can't talk about it. So officers just kind of stand back. And when we hear sometimes, well, let the process play out. Well, we just, uh, mass incarceration happened for a reason. And a lot of people went through the, the, the process. So it ends up, okay, you say let the process play out. Well, I haven't seen the process work too well uh, for African Americans. And, and the, the mass incarceration numbers actually prove that. So, and then uh, you see them try to deflect on TV. Well, everybody's concerned about officers killing people. Why, is it, why ain't they saying nothing about black-on-black crime? Those are mutually exclusive. You still don't want the government abusing its citizens. Of course you don't want citizens killing citizens, but don't try to – that's sort of a red herring. You just kind of deflect over to black-on-black crime, like forget law enforcement killing people. They're black, blacks killing blacks. So until we're able to deal with the facts, I don't want, I'd like to see more law enforcement come out and say, look, I'm not going to stand here and justify this guy's actions. I'm not going to stay silent. That will go a long way for, for people to say, okay, now law enforcement actually cares that somebody's actually uh, killed uh, in, in, these, in the most innocuous type of conduct, the most innocent type of conduct or low-level conduct. Let's put it that way. No, no, without question. And, uh, Commander, we're going to go to a caller. We're going to get your comments on that. Uh, and I think the commander, uh, Couch's position is what David just said. Law enforcement has come out. Uh, commander Couch says, look, I hold people accountable, citizens as well as officers. And there's no middle ground here. It is what it is. Uh, and, Commander, we commend you on that. Uh, and we take you at your word. That's what's happening. Uh, the fact that a, a law enforcement says, look, I need to talk. There needs to be a voice. Uh, and Commander, we hear you tonight. Your voice is being heard without question. We have a caller, Dave Napolo, I believe. Okay, Dave, are you with us? Yes. Uh, uh, Commander Couch, thank you for being on the show. This is great to have you there and talking about this. And my comment actually goes along really well with um, with David's uh, question. Is You talked about how the uh, commanders need to take the lead in this. What do you? What about the police union? Shouldn't the police unions being addre- should be addressing these issues? Because the perception by the public is the police union doesn't care about what the officers do. They always support the officers rather than coming out and saying that this was wrong and this needs to be dealt with and changes need to be made. And the union, um, and I feel, should also take the lead in that. What do you think? I, Dave, thanks for the question. I have com- sort of conflicted feelings about police unions. On one part, uh, they they are of some benefit to officers when they uh, have something happen outside of work. You know, they can help them deal with issues, and uh, they do help uh, officers who are underpaid get uh, appropriate pay. You know, in a lot of situations. But I've seen a situation where I used to work where I was in a police union and. You hear people saying it's so hard to fire a police officer who's who has a union because 
there's a, there's always a process involved and they have attorneys and everything. Um, that part of it, I that people need to be held accountable straight across the board. I mean, it's just do the right thing. You know, if if an officer is a bad officer and he's on suspension and he's got an FOP uh, fraternal order of police attorney, you, you gotta you gotta cut some of these people. You gotta cut some of these people out of this profession. If they're if they're wrong and they can't be fixed and they have no remorse and they're gonna do it again, you've got to go the extra mile and you've got to remove them from this profession because the only thing we survive on is our integrity. And if we can't police ourselves, then why should anybody think in the community that we should be able to police them? And I hope I answered your question. Well, good point. And uh, Dave, thanks for the call. Amen. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to shift gears a little bit, Commander, uh, in regards to what happens. And let me ask you this question before we go there. I presume uh, Taylor County has a jail uh, where people are housed. Is that correct? Yes, we do. Okay. And, and you oversee those those folks as well, right? So I worked in the jail for a short period of time, but I don't work in that section anymore. I'm on the operations side. So operations, but yeah. you're familiar. Yes. Uh, we're going to deal with some of the abuses happening in jails. People dying in custody, Commander. We're going to get your thoughts on that. The most brutal treatment of folks in jail, not convicted of a crime, simply waiting due process, and they die while in custody at, in county jails all across this country. He's going to get his position, the commander, uh, commander Couch's position on that. Uh, feel free, again, to dial in uh, to the show. Uh, if you're not too busy tonight, tell a family member, a friend, whoever, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628, as we continue our discussion, law enforcement, senseless killings, and the perspective from someone that knows, Commander Greg Couch, uh, commander of Tela County Sheriff's Department in Tela County, Woodland Park, Colorado. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today.
How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora. Fort Hood. Oak Creek. Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? How many more? Enough. 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 Demand a plan. Right now. As a mom. As a dad. As a friend. As a husband. As a wife. As an American. As an American. As an American. As a human being. 
for the children of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names. It's not too soon. It's too late. Now is the time. Before we all know someone who loved someone on that list. No more lists. No more who they might have been. No more if we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. It's time. It's time. It's time for our leaders to act. Demand a plan. Right now. Right now. You! Demand it! Enough. 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 Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. And I tell you what, we've had some discussions on this show before, but none more informative as we have had tonight with Commander Greg Couch from Keller County Sheriff's uh, Office. And I'll tell you what, folks, you have to hear this show. We're going to invite you to go to AJCRadio.com. This show is archived. Uh, tell your family and friends that now we have a perspective from a well-respected individual in Commander Couch who is giving a perspective uh, from the position of law enforcement uh, that we need to have a talk, that uh, his call for absolute accountability uh, is refreshing, and it's something that is missing among a lot of departments across this country, at least that is not being said as it is being said on this show on Agency Radio tonight. And a very special thanks to Commander Couch uh, Commander, for being here tonight and shining a light that, that I'll tell you what, uh, is a very clear light of transparency and what his position is after several years in law enforcement. Uh, all I can do uh, is, is commend you and take my hat off to you, Commander, for what you have said tonight, uh, I believe will help a lot of people uh, as we hopefully as communities come together to heal uh, from the actions that we have seen. we got a few callers in queue. We're going to take those calls for the Commander. Uh, Cliff, go ahead, please, with our first caller. Yes, we have uh, June, who has a comment about tonight's show. June, thank you very much for uh, for calling your live. Hello. I just wanted to thank uh, Commander Couch for being on the show and um, sharing his views. Uh, this dialogue is needed uh, this time in America when there's so much violence and so many unnecessary killings. And I know all police are not bad, and it's good that we can hear your views, and I hope uh, many people tuned in tonight to listen. And again, thank you, Commander. Well, thank you, June. You sound like a real nice lady, and, and I just have to hand it back to AJC Radio to allow me to have this platform to talk to you and answer your questions. I really appreciate it. Appreciate that, June, for your call. Uh, sometimes you have the gratitude to say, look, hey, what's going on? We had our a listener down in Canada uh, a week ago who was on Twitter and talking about the dialogue here on AJC Radio and how they, she's she's very uh, encouraged by the di dialogue that we've had here on this show. I'm sure she feels the same tonight as she is telling friends, family, everybody on social media, hey, you got to tune in to AJC Radio. So, June, thank you for your uh, thanks to the to the commander. Uh, it's well deserved. Our next caller, Cliff. Yeah, we have uh, Nina, who has a comment. Nina, thanks for the call. You're live. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you, Commander, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show tonight. I truly appreciate the input that you're giving tonight. This, as June was saying earlier, this is a very much needed time to stop all this unnecessary 
violence, and I'm sure that it is in the works on your end what we can do to resolve these unnecessary shootings. It's like every time you turn on your television, there's something new. So uh, I appreciate your time, sir. Okay. And Nina, did you have a question for the commander as well? I did have a question. I, I wanted to know what is going to be done as far as maybe additional training, additional protocol, um, as far as when they're approaching somebody that they need to speak to instead of pulling out their gun. Is there anything in the works, sir? Thank you, Nina. Thank you for the kind words, and that's a great question. Um, the answer is, as far as training and protocols go, law enforcement constantly trains. I don't see, I don't understand quite why why these things are happening. I don't know if it's a generation generational issue with the officers that are are new. I I just really can't speak to that. But uh, you know, additional training is is always needed. You know, as we change as a culture, the training has to change. So. Um, you know, that's that's definitely a great point. Um, you know, I want to tell more uh, stories about successes. You know, I, I want to tell how this training impacts our culture and our officers right now. Um, we There's been a recent trend toward training for de-escalation. I think that needs to continue. Um, there's no reason why you have to pull a gun on everybody you see. Not that that is, you know, generally happens, but uh, it does happen. And that's that's that could turn deadly in a second. I may not need to. No, and thank you, Nita, for the call. Um, and I'm and Commander, thanks for answering that question. Our next caller. Yes, we have Yolanda on the line who has a comment. Yolanda, thanks for your call. You're live. Oh, thank you. And I want to thank the commander as well for being on the show. And I do I I had a question as well in regards to training because it didn't seem like it was um, always a rookie cop doing these things because the, the police officer who actually pulled out her gun instead of a, a taser to kill a person, I mean, there has to be a difference there of, um, you know, the two and how you can make a, a mistake like that. Um, where where does the training come into play? Are our officers, um, I, I, I just don't understand that. Hey, Commander, I think she's referencing the the uh, killing that happened. Dante Wright. Dante Wright, uh, where she said she accidentally uh, pulled the, the taser versus, and she thought it was the taser, but it was actually the gun. Uh, and a lot of questions have come up in regards to that, that how is there such, and this is a, this is a veteran officer that had been on the, yes. Uh, force for quite some time and she reached and said oh I thought that was my taser when your taser is on your left is that correct and the weapon is actually on the right well how did you pull a gun from the left plastic I don't know if it's plastic but it's definitely a difference from an actual the weight of the weapon and I think that's what raises the question not a rookie a veteran and a trainer she was training that night my understanding is of that situation your thoughts on the call and, and clarifying that point yeah, look, Yolanda, you're you're on a great track. That's a great question. I think that there, the as far as the age question goes, I think there's a lot to unpack there. But well, this situation is involving a 26-year veteran, um, Officer Kim Wright, and 
I, I'm slack jawed. I, I don't understand how that could happen. I, I carried a taser for a long time, uh, and I'm not coming in and Monday morning quarterbacking anyone. I understand that. I, I don't understand how that could have happened. And it may be a situation where the officer lost composure. Um, that's possible. Um, that, that's why I talked so much earlier about maintaining yourself, you know, just stay calm. You know, it takes a certain kind of person to be a police officer for these types of decisions right here that we're talking about. Um, are we hiring the right people? You know, that's what law enforcement needs to ask themselves. Are, are we hiring the right kind of people that have the temperament to carry a gun? Uh, so when you see red flags, leadership should be taking care of those things. Um, you mentioned age of officers, and, and I, I think I may have been a little uh, on a similar track, Yolanda. Um, there is a difference between the old school officers, which I consider myself to be an old school officer. I've been doing it for 30 years and the newer generation of officers. And that's fine because there, there's our culture is different now and, and the law enforcement should be uh, a piece a piece of the fabric of the community from top to bottom or left to right, okay? And that's fine. Does that come into play? That's a great question. I'm gonna start thinking about that. Does, does Are we seeing uh, differences because of different levels of experience and life experience in, in law enforcement? No, good point, uh, Commander. And, and Yolanda, thanks for the call. Uh, William? I, I had a, a comment, along, well, a question really along those lines, because I was going to ask this question. I remember, remember growing up, and we saw police officers in our neighborhoods. You know, you see them patrol, but we had relationships with them. There was a personal relationship with them. I think all of us here at the table are roughly around the same age. We can remember different instances of that. But now that is gone. You know, and it seems like it may have been. I, so my question was, what, is it generational? Do you think at some place in some time in, in history, it, maybe the philosophy of policing changed, the training changed to where they were disconnected from the community a little bit? Because I remember seeing those cruisers that you always saw in the back to serve and protect. And they would they would speak to you. They, they There was a relationship that they were building with their community. I think you just nailed it, William. Relationships. Uh it, it appears to me that from when I started to now, we have, in law enforcement, stopped building relationships. We have stopped. Because I remember uh, the older officers that I got broke in with when I was extremely young, and they rolled those neighborhoods with their window down because they would always see somebody that they knew. They worked the same little area, and they would always stop and talk to them, even if it was a, you know, say it was a convicted felon. Uh, they would always engage them in conversation and interaction on a human level, they would they would act like humans. It just seems to me like law enforcement is uh, getting away from like community policing, and that's an easy word to say, and that's like a buzzword. But you have to do a lot of stuff. You can't just say, "Oh, we have a community policing unit, and they do their job." And no, everybody in the agency has to be a community police officer, and I think it's just generally as human beings, like in, we've stopped talking to pe to each other. We've stopped face-to-facing each other. Um, how can you have respect for someone who um, will not engage with you in any meaningful way, only comes around when, you know, there's a call or something like that? We have to nurture those relationships in those communities, and it just doesn't seem like we're doing There's a lot of people doing that in law enforcement. Don't get me wrong. 
it just doesn't seem the same. And, and maybe you have something there about those relationships and the culture change. Well, for sure. Uh, we had a question from online uh, that just sent to me. Uh, this question to you, Commander. It says, has the commander ever had a police officer shooting in his department that wasn't justified? And if so, how did he handle that? Uh, in the agencies that I've worked for, I have not had to experience that, um, which is a good thing. Um, I have I have experienced very early in my career. I was about a year and a half in. Um, I was involved in a high-speed pursuit. The person was a uh, carjacking suspect. And I ended up taking him into custody myself. And uh, one of, another off, a fellow officer came up and there was an excessive use of force done by that officer on, which at the time was my prisoner, this, this suspect, and he was in handcuffs and I reported him. Mm. Um, and I would, you know, there's a lot of officers that see that kind of stuff and they're, they are hesitant. They're scared. And let me tell you, I paid a price for that. I paid a price for that for over a decade. And there's probably people from that agency that won't even speak to me today. And that's, that's fine. Um, but I did the right thing, and it feels so good to do the right thing, and you have to have the courage as an officer to call it like you see it and do the right thing. Well, it speaks volumes, uh, Commander. Look, if that type of integrity uh, was in departments to that level, I promise you half the body bags that have been filled by officers would not have been. But we talk about all the time on this show that there's a culture of behavior, and that's to protect. That's behind, as David called it, the the wall of blue, the wall of silence. The wall of silence. We don't we don't we don't mess with our own, but we mess with that which uh, gives officers a name and puts them in danger. That's what people don't understand. When you fail to have the integrity that the commander is speaking of, he said, "Look." I paid for that almost 10 years because I said you shouldn't do that and you can't do that. And I'm going to report you. That's the, that's the definition commander, in my opinion of integrity. Well, and on top of that, what would you report if, a, if an officer raped a baby? Now, I just stuff is if he raped a child, this is absolutely sick. And that culture it is is a major problem. The, the, the fact that uh, Commander Couch had to pay a price for that is it speaks volumes to to where where police departments need to change. And it's like you don't snitch. In other words, it doesn't matter how egregious the conduct is. You don't snitch. So that's what it called. That's what that's what criminals do. Well, you don't snitch under no circumstances. Are you carrying the same type of ethos that the, you harm a member of the public? And doesn't matter who we harm, you don't say anything about it. That's the problem. And, and to the commander's position, uh, he should be commended. He should be commended for that. Mr. Banks, I think you had a great point that law enforcement needs to listen to loudly and clearly, and that is if you feel that you're in an organization where that there's a blue line, and, and I've made references to that before, and it could mean many different things, but as far as integrity goes, the lack of integrity on the, on the uh, blue side of that blue line is getting officers killed, okay? 
So let's recognize that. You know? No, 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 without without question, Cliff. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, Commander, that uh, when you talk about that type of t- integrity that the officers have to have, and I think it it begins with what you said, dealing with the fabric of the community. Officers are, uh, you know, sworn uh, oath to serve and protect, but. Who are they trying to serve and protect? Are they protecting the blue line or are they protecting the community? And you, you know, you say that you had to pay a price for a decade. But when you look at the people in your community that can look at you and say, hey, I I don't know about any other cop, but I tell you one thing, Commander Couch, if one of his officers does something that needs to be reported, he's the officer that's going to report. He's the one that's serving and protecting the community. He's the guy that we can go to as a member of the community and say, look, Commander, we know that you're a stand-up guy. We've watched you turn in a fellow officer. We understand how hard that had to be and that you paid a price. But that is the definition of serving and protecting your community. And if the officers can get that, can say, well, hey, if, if I serve and protect the community, more than I, you know, and, and of course you got to serve and protect the the badge, but not the blue line that because if uh, if that side of the blue, like you said, crosses over that line, then you have to serve and protect that line on both sides. And if you and if you look and say, well, hey, this community that I've been serving for 20, 30 years, they know I'm on their side and the good officers know that I'm on their side. That's what matters. The bad apples need to be taken out of the barrel. Otherwise, the whole thing becomes rotten. So when the community knows that you're there to serve and protect, your officer knows, hey, Commander Couch is not going to take any crap off anybody, not a prisoner, not an officer, not a deputy, not somebody that's uh, his, his subordinate or, you know, basically could be his commander. He is a stand-up guy. That is the part that we need. And to Will's point, you know, real quick about, you know, if you grew up in a rural community, it's more you're more apt to have that cop that comes out and says, hey, you know, hey, I know everybody in town all the way from the milkman to the mayor. When you're in urban society and you have these large communities that are diverse, you still officers still have to make themselves available and say, look, when I come around, it's not because I'm coming to uh, to attack, to to uh, enforce something. I still have to know my community and the people, and it's not just because I'm, a, I'm coming to arrest somebody. That's the problem with law enforcement. When the people, if, you, if in your community, when you see cops, it's because somebody's going to get arrested, and that's the reason you're like, well, the cops are coming, run. Then they ask, well, what are you running for? Well, why are you chasing me? Well, you could have committed a crime. You don't know what I've done. I could be out here playing tag. That could be the reason I'm running. But if a cop comes around for more than just arresting somebody or more than just enforcing the law, but interacting with the community, I think that's the key to the problem. And the integrity is crucial because, as you said, it protects the fabric of our community. Yeah, that communication piece, that I, I always felt safer engaging people in non-law enforcement situations when I was on duty than I ever did uh, going to a call where there was a law enforcement incident. I always felt that was part of the joy of the job, and if, there, if there's if there's law enforcement out, officers out there that don't that don't understand that, you are missing out on so much of the good part of everyone, and you're not you're not contributing anything either. So 
really think about that. Um, that's extremely important. No, without question. And social media, as folks are talking about this show tonight, um, getting texts throughout this show, uh, the question came from a 70-year-old lady uh, in regards to, had you, had you experienced anything like that? Your answer that you, you stood up to the, uh, the fact that, no, I didn't experience a fatal situation, but enough of one of misconduct that you reported and had the integrity to do so. So I think the message is going to get out there even more uh, as we promote this show uh, and you, uh, Commander Couch, uh, in your position, uh, people want to hear from law enforcement. They want to hear something different from what they've heard. Demetrius, you had something for the commander? Yes, we uh, we applaud you on for doing the right thing. And my, that's where this question comes from. Do you feel, in, uh, in regards to the blue uh, wall of silence, do you think that narrative, that 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 thinking is changing? What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you, you, you took a stand many years ago, and do you feel that's uh, taking a climate change? As long as I'm alive, it's going to start changing. Because I plan to, uh, I'm going to make a special announcement here real quick. Yes. Uh, a caller named Nina earlier asked if there was anything else I was going to do uh, on this subject. And uh, I just want to share with everybody that uh, I am going to be starting a nonprofit organization. Uh, it's going to be, uh, haven't figured out the name yet, but it's going to be something like the Police Integrity Project, something like that. And the goal of that organization is going to be to uh, provide support and work with, with the law enforcement community from the inside to bring change. Yes. You cannot legislate change into an organization or profession successfully, okay? We, we have enough laws on the books. This needs to come from the heart of the problem, and the heart of the problem is within law enforcement. And hopefully somebody out there is listening and will call somebody and say, this is a great idea. Um, we're going to do it by engaging the media. We're going to tell success stories and, and highlight integrity stories to, to give some officers some, some goal to shoot for and, and show a lot of the good that's happening out there. We're going to engage officers directly. Um, there will be a support system for officers who, ha who are having problems and they're taking it to work. Um, we plan to uncover police corruption. I'll be very honest and frank with you. Uh, that absolutely needs to happen. We're going to engage with groups like your group, AJC Radio, yep. to, uh, who want to rebuild that relationship between the community and law enforcement, because without that, we're all lost. Well, I want you to do, I think that's great. We're going to, what we want to do, uh, Commander, and I can commit to it now, is that AJC will partner with you uh, in this community. We'd love you to come back. Once you get this going, bring as many officers in here as you want to bring in, and let's talk. That would be great. Conversation. Thank you so much. No, 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 without question. And because this is where it starts, this is where it happens. And you have to know, and please know this, that AJC Radio will always offer a platform for that agency. And when that kicks off, uh, we want you to come back and share it with our listeners and bring, like you said, whatever officers you want to bring in here, they have an open door to be welcome here as we support that type of agenda. I'd be happy to. Thank you. I think that's awesome. Samson, um, uh, you had something? Yeah, I was just like listening to the whole conversation and like the, the commander hit on a lot of great points and the fact that, you know, to, to instill change, to instill the integrity that is needed to actually get the momentum, get this wave pushed so that it blows out into not only the, the 
police departments, but actually into the community where that those bonds begin to mend, those relationships get to be rebuilt. He's absolutely right. It has to start at the top. And what he's doing tonight, you know, is a great example and a great start. You know, I hope that anybody out there in, in any police department that is in a leadership position, take a stance, you know, get in touch with us, be a guest, do whatever, you know, but, but in, you know, infiltrate that change into where you're at. You know, he's coming from, you know, the Teller County, but I mean, there's, we have listeners all around the, you know, the United States, all around the globe. Like this has to be addressed. And I think the nonprofit, I think the thing is going to be awesome once it gets, you know, up off the ground. And yeah, this is, these are the steps that need to be taken by uh, police from the inside out to, you know, to get the narrative changed, to get the, like you said, to get the bad apples out, to get, you know, healing in our country. Uh, maybe an idea, uh, Commander, that we phone you for every police park department uh, <laughs> and bring your vision to folks to know this is this is the example, this is the uh, the model in which we build upon. Uh, I think it's important uh, because you know what's sad to say, uh, you don't see or hear integrity that often anymore. To hear this from you tonight, Commander, but I knew it when I talked to you. Uh, there was something different about you. I think, man, this guy, he's for real. And when you come in contact with that, uh, listen, we're going to work together with you. Thank you. If people can come together and make this happen, uh, I have no doubt your integrity will run it. I have no doubt that it'll be successful because, you know what, at this point in the country, uh, right now at this time, uh, people are seeking answers and they're seeking transparency. They're seeking what? How do we stop the killing? How do we stop the misconduct? How do we stop these things? I think your uh, position uh, in, in starting a nonprofit, man, I, I salute you on that, Commander. That's that's awesome stuff. And thanks for the offer to help and partner because we would love to do that. Absolutely. And, and Samson made a point about leadership, uh, you know, making this change. Officers too, line level officers. I had to make a bet. I had to make a extremely difficult decision in my first year of employment, and I've been doing it for 30 years, and look where I'm at now, you can still do it and, and survive all of that negativity because you're doing the right thing, and the good guys always win. If you do the right thing, it, life is so much easier. You don't have to make – you don't have to toil over decisions anymore. But the people who are in law enforcement right now are the stewards of that profession for the next 10 to 15 years, and I hope to see a lot of action. Well, we look forward to working with the commander. It's been a pleasure tonight. Um, to all of our listeners, uh, I think it's important, uh, as we always uh, should remember our law enforcement and our thoughts and our prayers every single day uh, as they go out in the community to protect us. Uh, it's critically important. I can't imagine, uh, other than what uh, Commander has said and other officers that we have talked to, uh, the stress for families, for husbands, for wives, for children. Uh, as I shared earlier regarding the young man who, who got an email saying, I hope you don't come home today. And he had a picture of his daughter at the top of the screen, and he said, if I don't come home, she has no father. If I don't come home, the people that love me are going to hurt. Uh, that's critically important. And I think uh, we have to be fair. Uh, we have to be compassionate. As the commander uh, stated, you have to have a passion. Yes, you have a job to do, but there's a way to do that job without bringing the consequences that we have seen. Uh, and hopefully, George Floyd was the beginning uh, of the implementation of change. That's what we hope. 
And as David, you said earlier, uh, that's the worst case scenario. But relationships in law enforcement have been hurt, uh, not for the George Floyd situation, but the, the harassment, the things. Uh, and we'll talk more, uh, Commander, uh, regarding the situation that uh, we're currently dealing with. Uh, and I'll, I'll fill you in on all of that later regarding right here in this community, uh, law enforcement corruption at its highest. Uh, we're going to deal with that. So uh, very special thanks, Commander, for coming. We're up against the clock now. Anything, any closing statements you want to make real quick or we appreciate it? So, so appreciate the opportunity to come and be part of this conversation and part of the solution going forward. Thank okay. you. And thank you very, very much. Our, our uh, uh, thanks and, and good wishes go out to your wife as well. Please tell her that from us. Uh, that uh, we wish her well in our daily uh, thank you. situations in your family and all that's involved. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you tonight for joining us. That is Commander Greg Couch, Chelsea County Sheriff's Department, making a difference. One of the unseen heroes, if you will, of implementation of change as we go forward. This is AJC Radio. Till next time, good night.